I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. All right, I want to welcome Walter Crosby. He helps entrepreneurs and CEOs scale their business. They went out of their sales seat and yet um, and yet find themselves constantly being sucked back into the weeds. What they need is a sales framework that is managed like their other departments and the ability to create a high-performance sales culture without mediocrity. You won't find a one-size-fits-all approach here. His solutions fix the root cause of a problem. It's not just about learning, but about making the transformation. Walter recently recorded his 100th episode of his own podcast, Sales and Cigars. That's, by the way, that's where Walter and I met. And he has been a podcast guest on uh, many businesses and marketing and sales-related podcasts. Walter, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Fred. You know, I I really enjoyed being on your podcast, Sales and Cigars. The uh, I felt like I was breaking the rules because I showed up with a glass of wine. That, see, that's the whole objective, right? I, I encourage rule breaking. I encourage a glass of, I think you had a glass of Cabernet, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. I was smoking a cigar and I, I might have had some bourbon. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's, that's part of the, uh, the ambiance of my podcast. And that's interesting. Different people would do that for different reasons. Why is that a kind of a central element to your podcast? So it's, it's about being authentic. I, I was actually in a meeting this morning with some people and we were talking about being authentic and I'm not for everybody, right? A glass of Cabernet or a glass of bourbon and a cigar on a podcast that would turn some people away. I'm okay with that. Um, if if I'm not a good fit for um, a particular situation, I'm going to be the first to raise my hand. And if that helps weed people out, okay. I just think it's authentic. And it, for me, the podcast was originally started to have fun and to have interesting conversations. And um, we're, we're now 135 deep uh in into the uh into the podcasting world and that's that's an accomplishment you know a lot of people don't realize that 90 percent podcasts end before the 20th episode yeah it, it's it's a lot more work than people realize to, to do it consistently and like we talked before we started like the way you prepare people to be a guest and the production value that you create it, it takes a little bit of effort and um, and resources. Um, so there has to be a little passion behind it. And for me, talking about sales and having a cigar and sharing those those kind of moments with people are, are, are part of the passion. Yeah. 
You know, and there, there's a couple of things you said there that I want to make sure we hit on. One, you said that you're not for everybody and, and you, you you kind of use that as a filter. I, you know, I just, um, before we got on here, I was wrapping up a workshop with a, a new client. And one of the, one of the biggest breaths of relief that I was able to give them was not only do you not have to work with everyone, but you should aggressively filter out those that you don't work well with. The term we use is ruthlessly disqualify people. Um, ruthlessly disqualify. I like that. Yeah, it it's some people are taken aback, but um, the idea is if if we're going to figure out that it's not a good fit, when should we do that? As soon as possible, and you know we want to ask good questions, and if we don't feel we're a fit then maybe we maybe i know somebody that's a fit maybe a, a particular you know one of our clients might um be hesitant because they have a uh, a number to hit for the month right and it's you know i need to get there and i got to take everything in short term you know gain for a long term problem and i think if we're playing the long game um whether that's sales or running a company or leadership it's all about you know, doing the right thing for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, that bad client is almost like that cocaine high. Yeah. It brings some money in, but you know, it, it starts feeling bad pretty quickly. I mean, we've all done it. I think we've all done. We took the, the opportunity um, because we thought we could change it or because we thought we could really um, do something that we hadn't done before, or we could convince them to change their thinking. Um, and the the money was right. Um, and I, I've done that a few times in my life at various points, and it never worked out the way I wanted it to um, for anybody, which is a really, a really bad scenario. Yeah, so we just we just try to avoid it. Um, and I think, you know, we bring people through like sort of an application process and, you know, we're somewhere in that 57 to 60% um, people that come through all the way. Uh, so it means we're, you know, filtering out uh, a good chunk of people because we don't think it's a good fit. And we hope that they, they understand it. We don't like just say, you know, you suck. We're not going to work with you. It's more of like, we're just not the right fit for you. And sometimes we can refer somebody that we think might be a better fit. Well, and to me, that really seems central to, to a heart of service. I mean, it's, it's leadership and it's service, you know, recognizing there's some people you just won't serve well. That's exactly, that's exactly the way to look at it, I think, is that for one reason or the other, we're, we're not going to be able to provide uh, meet the expectation or provide the value or get what we need to get to. And you can usually tell this relatively quick. Um, we like to poke around and confirm, but um, you know what with what we do, it's it's there has to be a change. Um, there has to be a change in mindset. There has to be a change in uh, approach in one way or the other, not necessarily, 180 degrees but there is a point where you know there's a pivot that 
there's some thinking that has to change and some minds that have to open. And if that's not within the cards, then let's not start. Yeah. And, and we've kind of danced around it a little bit. What, what is it you do for people? You know, what's, what's the typical problem you help somebody solve? Well, usually there's, they see a symptom and we help them uncover what the underlying cause is. So they're frustrated with a lack of accountability. They're frustrated because their revenue forecast is um, inaccurate and unreliable. Uh, they they struggle with hiring and retaining good salespeople, right? Just to name a couple. Um, and what we do is those are symptoms of other problems that need to be addressed sort of up the food chain. And we sort of identify what those issues are and go about making those fundamental changes. Um, and I think a differentiator for us is that, you know, we're in the sales development and training space. And I'm somebody who doesn't think that sales training works the way it's commonly delivered. Um, what I mean by that is it's often where people start. And I want to start from a place of understanding of where we are, what what's our strengths and our weaknesses in in some some key areas. And then let's let's do some sales training if appropriate and do sales training with the people that need it and with the people that are going to support it. I've seen sales sales training done where they leave out the sales manager and train a sales team. And how do you, how is that sales manager going to help them? Well, he'll figure it out. It's not how it works. So, um, so it's really about helping people raise the bar uh, with, with the sales organization, the sales team, and start to think about it differently. And, and what sort of businesses do you tend to work with? You know, I sort of gravitate to, um, probably two areas, um, you know, people that are in the construction space, they're selling into some sort of construction um, model, um, or that they're manufacturing or distributing a widget, um, a generic term for a product. Um, and these are areas that are mostly commoditized. Um, and, you know, they they struggle to differentiate themselves and, and what we do is help them um, sort of uncover that, unpack that uh, and then go about positioning themselves as a, as a premium product. Um, and which goes back to what we started talking about, right? Where if, if you're selling them a premium product at a premium price, why would you sell it with uh, the, the cheapest price possible? Um, it's sort of counterintuitive, but everybody wants to race to the bottom. I don't think we can be uncompetitive, but I've I've never been the lowest pricing model when I sold into the construction space. Um, and it was a highly commoditized world. We just differentiated ourselves better and um, gave people a reason to choose us. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, my heart, you know, my, I, at least the folks we work with, we want them to be the highest priced in the market and for people to feel good about paying that. 
and and you got to give them the reasons. You got to help them see that. You got to help them understand that you know there are there are differences, and those differences are meaningful to that particular audience. And it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, uh, the difference doesn't have to be wildly significant. It just has to be important to those people. And you need to be able to articulate what those differences are. And, you know, they're they're relatively relatively small in, in, in terms of its size. I would tell people, you know, 97% of what I do is exactly the same as these three competitors. So can we talk about the 3%? And then I would go about talking about the 3%, those, those small things that we did differently that was important to that prospect short-term and long-term. So you have to know your stuff and you have to know your 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 market and your customer. Um, it goes beyond just knowing the persona. It goes, goes, goes into like, how do they do business? What's important to them? How do they make money? And, um, you know, you can't sell in, in a transactional way and do that. Um, if you're doing transactional sales, you probably will be replaced at some point in the future. Yeah. I, you know, and it's, it's so sad. And I've, I forget it was about a year ago. I started saying, I think we're going to see people start dropping price to try to fix. They have a sales problem and they think the problem is price and they're going to start dropping it. And they're going to do it in the middle of a high inflation period. And so it's just going to speed up uh, the rate at which they're imperiling their business. It's sort of that death spiral, right? Once you get farther down into that spiral, it, it gets harder to pull yourself out of it. And lowering your prices, lowering your margins uh, are ways to go deeper and faster into that spiral. Yeah. And it's it's been sad because, you know, I have people I love and care for that have been in these businesses and I've said, look, they're going to try to fix this with price. They're going to try to fix sales with price. It's not going to work. And it's just going to put you in a worse spot. And sure enough, that's where they went. And they end up having to lay off a bunch of people. They still didn't get the business. Yeah. When you, when you lay off people, so we went through a, a period, you know, around COVID before COVID where people were scared, um, you know, the supply chain problems. There are all these challenges out there. And so companies got nervous and they were going to start laying people off. So, okay, like, who do you need? What do you need those people to do? Because what, with what you normally do with those CEOs and CFOs get together and it's like, all right, let's look at overhead, right? We got 10 salespeople and these these three over here are producing the most amount of revenue. And these three over here, you know, are opening up little accounts, but they're not really moving the needle yet. Right. So what do we need? They never ask that question. They just cut based on uh, a, a financial model. And what we were trying to get them to do is like, hold the phone. Let's look at what your people are good at, what they're not good at. But most importantly, what do you need them to do? You have to protect some of these accounts that you have. You have to really go out and make sure that there's uh, uh, your competitors aren't going to come in there and take that business away. But then you got to go out and take the business away from your competitors. You have to go out and try to open up new accounts. And, and often 
those within an organization, the person has been sitting there at the top of the revenue heap. They've been working 10, 12 accounts. They're accounting for, you know, 90% of their revenue and everybody's revenue in those accounts starts to shrink. And that person is his or her skills have gotten so weak. They can't go open up new business. So how do we balance that? And that's what we tried to get them to see is you need a little bit of both. You need some people that can go open up business and, and, and gain market share. And then you need people that are going to protect your market share. They need to have different types of conversations. Um, just don't cut the bottom. And it, it, it speaks directly to let's cut prices and let's cut people and then, you know, hope for the best. And big companies can sustain that. Smaller companies, middle market companies, it, it could be the end. Yeah. Well, and, and when you're doing that, you're training your customers um, to to look for just to wait for the price cuts. I mean, so J.C. Penney is a classic example. Uh, J.C. Penney hired uh, an executive from the Apple store to come in and run J.C. Penney. And he said, oh, I'm going to turn this around into a premium brand. Well, the reason you're not finding J.C. Penney's around is the J.C. Penney customers we're used to the, the coupons. They lived in you know, the sales. They would buy on sales. That's how they had trained them. And uh, this Apple, former Apple executive meant well, uh, but what he couldn't undo was years of training of the customer. It, it, it's, a, it's a subtle difference. If that executive had gone to Nordstrom's or Neiman Marcus and really you know, reworked that, that that's the same he didn't understand his core business. He didn't understand the core customer. Um, and it's uh, it's sad. It happens a lot. Yeah. So for sales leaders today, I mean, for a lot of people, 20, this is a hard year. 2023 is a hard year. Uh, while I'm reading it, you know, I'm not seeing the sun, the clouds part in 2024. It looks like we have a little bit of headwinds ahead of us. What would be your advice to sales leaders and, and even broader business leaders for what they should be doing now? They should really be looking inward and trying to understand their particular, their marketplace and their customer. So, you know, a, a thing that they could do is go to their customers and have their, they should be doing quarterly meetings with their customers. And like sit down and say, look, where are we at? What what's what are you worried about? Where do you need help? How can we be a better partner? What are the things that are concerning you? And really dive into that. And having those real authentic conversations with your customers, you're gonna get intelligence under to understand, like they don't want to just throw throw everybody out and start over. They're really looking for somebody that are gonna help them. So if, if, if your sales team and the leadership team needs to be part of this, they need to, they need to listen. They need to sit in on some of those meetings. Um, sometimes a salesperson can go get a C-suite um, person from their customer. Say, hey, I'm bringing my CEO. She really cares. Um, I, I'd love it if you could bring your CEO in and we could have a, a dialogue about things. Those kind of things really make a difference. So diving in to understand what's going on in your with, on your customer space 
It's always a good idea, but it's critical to do it when the uh, proverbial poop hits the fan. And we and we see that just keep spinning around for some time because it's really a way to win and come out of that mess um, on top with with a larger market share. You know, years ago, you know, early in my career, when I, when I worked for someone else, I started seeing this pattern and I realized I was part of the problem. You know, the sales team would come back and they would you know, say, hey, the customer is telling us we need this, we need this. And we pretty much ignored the sales team. Not intentionally. It wasn't, you know, it was for some reason we convinced ourselves that they were wrong on something. And then we'd go out uh, on, you know, on a customer trip. Sales guys would take us out and we'd meet the customer and we would come back to the factory. It was like we were Moses coming down from the mountain with the oracles of God and saying, we heard the customer say this. Now, the, the not-so-savvy salespeople would say, I've been telling you that for the last six months. The smarter salespeople would say, I am so glad you were able to get that truth out of the salesperson. When can I get that? Yeah, well, I, I would argue the savvy salesperson would be, would be, you know, hey, we're my, my leadership team is coming out. We're going to do some sales calls together. All the stuff you've been telling me for the last six months, would you mind sharing that with them? I would prep them to give a, a give uh, our team because I experienced that in my career, right? That I've come back to the leadership team and the R and D guys and like, hey, here's what I'm hearing. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, All right. And then I would convince them to come with me, and then they'd hear they come back and hear it, and they're like, they they it was their idea. It's like God bless. Who I, I, I don't care who gets the credit as long as we start moving the needle. Um, so, which is part of, I think, part of leadership. Like sometimes I think people can really think about, you don't have to have a title to be a leader. You can lead from wherever you are. Um, and and that just takes a little, a little chutzpah and um, a little clarity about what it is we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, in that... I think you just said something, it just kind of slipped it in there, but I think it's worth expanding on. A key element of leadership is trying to figure out what you're accomplishing. Yeah. What, what is it? Your, what's your goal? What, what is it that we need to do? Um, I, I think there's, there, there's a, um, there's often a, a, a critical mistake that's made um, where a leader will have this, really clear vision and they have this this language that's that's elegant and concise that explains what we're trying to accomplish and everybody's nodding your head saying like yes this is this is great and i think where the where the the misstep is is that we don't take it to the next level we don't take it to help everybody down the line everybody in the organization to know how they actually can implement that vision in their role. And I'll tell you a quick story where we had a, uh, a company I worked at, we had this old grizzled uh, guy that worked the shipping department, right? Been around forever, knew everything. Um, and he was shipping out a, a big shipment for one of my orders. 
And I went back to make sure everything was cool. And he's like, I'm shipping out these 39 boxes and this one is not going. Like, okay, what, what's wrong? He's like, oh, it's, there's a couple of pieces in there broken and it's, you know, I, I don't want to ship it out. It'll be a big hassle bringing it back and forth. I'm like, Harry, that's brilliant. I mean, thank you. He's like, really? I thought you'd be upset. I'm like, they got enough to get going on the job to do their thing. You know, I'll just let them know. And I let the customer know. They were blown away. Um, the next time they came into the building, they they brought some swag for for our guy on the dock to say thank you. Um, because it, it would have been a hassle for them to ship something to the dock to get somebody to come pick it up and bring it back. But he knew that it was the right thing to do because we were trying to make the customer's life easier. And that was part of the mission. And he just made an executive decision in his mind. And he didn't care that it was, he thought it might upset somebody, but he thought it was the right thing to do. So if we don't connect the dots from leadership and the mission and the values to the role, um, we, we can sometimes miss the mark. Not because it was a bad vision, but because we didn't explain ourselves. Uh, and that's, that, that's incredibly valuable uh, and true. It's the it's the constant focus on the customer and leadership, aligning the organization to know that focus on doing the right thing for the customer will work out. You know, we'll figure out the rest of that. Yeah, you need some guidelines. You can't go spend a, you know ten thousand dollars to fix a little problem, but you know within some guidelines, you have these you have these parameters to go in your world. Go do whatever it takes. Um, yeah. And then, and then, actually, not getting upset with them when they've solved a problem that cost you a couple of dollars uh, in the short term, because in the long run, when when that person in that role solves a problem and they don't have to escalate, man, does that make life easier for your customer? Yeah. There's somebody who works for me named uh, Elena, and years ago, she was telling me something, and I'm listening. And she gets done talking and I say, all right, Elena, let me see if I have this right. There is a problem. You've fixed the problem. And you're just letting me know that there was a problem and it's fixed and doesn't take any action on my part. She's like, yeah. I was like, bless you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the leaders that want to control their employees, you're missing out on that. Yes. That's a great that's a great message, right? You you somebody solves a problem and don't need your help. Like, hey, you want I got a couple other problems you can go solve for me. It would be awesome. That's yeah, but it, but but that sometimes they can do all that and then we get upset about some little thing that was done that wasn't you know, cost a couple of dollars or it's safe, you know, cost some extra time, but man, the ROI on that decision from that employee I don't know. I don't know how you calculate that. I'm not an economist. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure there's a way to do it. So you have a, a book out that, that helps folks. Uh, it's the seven critical mistakes uh, CEOs make with their sales operations that stop the company from scale. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Sales organization that stopped the company from scaling. Yep. Yep. So what's... um. Uh, what's that about and where can people get it? Um, actually, I just gave you an example of one of the critical mistakes, right? We were just talking about 
connecting and aligning your strategies with your employees roles is is one of those mistakes um there's a there's a couple of ways they can grab it um you know i'll give you a link that they can go get a free copy um they can get it from amazon um it's uh it's a quick read it was written it was written not to be a best new york times bestseller it was written so that a ceo can sit down with a cigar or a cup of coffee or a glass of Cabernet and in an hour, hour and a half go, I got that problem. I have that one too. And so I, I identify a problem. I explain what they might be experiencing. And then I give them steps that they can take to take, take corrective action. Um, but often them just being aware of what's really causing the problem, they can go fix it. Um, Cause I see a lot of the same problems when I see I speak to CEOs and the book was a, um, a way to provide some value, but also um, it's a nice credential to say you wrote something, um, got it out of my system. I don't think I need to do it again. As you know, it's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I decided to go off and write two books as my first book. So um, but yeah, no, that's good. And then next month you're holding a five day, uh, challenge. What's that challenge do? Um, we, we teach a process that allows a business owner, senior sales leader, HR person to go attract and hire and retain salespeople who will perform. And again, it's very, very much like what we talked about earlier about ruthlessly disqualifying people and being really clear about who we want and what that role is. So the challenge is five days, one hour a day, where I just give them everything they need, templates, scripts, examples of how to change their mindset, how to write an ad, how to onboard somebody, because you could do a great job finding the right person and then stick them in a cubicle and tell them to read three books like like happened to me um and you lose them you know there's a there's three percent of salespeople are hired and they leave within 48 hours wow. because the onboarding experience is so awful and it's 24 percent within 60 days um so we teach them how to do it better it, it's not necessarily going to go faster but it's going to cost you less money it's going to take less resources it's going to save you time especially if you're the ceo and you want to get a final pass on somebody you won't be talking to people that aren't qualified you'll be talking to people that you're going to have to make choices about well we will include the link to that in the show notes um your company is helix sales development how do people reach you um, they can, they can check me out on helixsalesdevelopment.com. Probably the easiest thing is to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, Walter L. Crosby, um, it's pretty straightforward. Um, they can find Helix on LinkedIn. I'm on there probably 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening. Um, you know, I'm around. Well, excellent. Well, I, I think, um, I definitely recommend folks um, get the book and 
do the that five day challenge. That sounds incredibly valuable. Uh, Walter, thank you for being on Leaders and Legacies. Appreciate the invitation, Craig. Thank you. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.